When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Lord, we thank you for allowing us in your presence again this evening. Father, tonight I would just like to summarize a few things from this week. Dear Lord, that we've looked at. And Lord, I'd just like to highlight a few things and show the people a way to begin to understand these times because it's very serious. Lord, the war is imminent. It's become obvious if we just look around. And this is the war that I, I've told the people, dear Lord, since 1997, I was told by people in the high sides of the system that this is religious war. They are bringing about a religious war. They call it a war, a civil war. They call it World War Three. They call it a lot of things. But internally, it's a religious war because at the end of the day, according to the sustainable earth documents that they themselves have prepared, they're going to bring about a one world religion that does not include Jesus. He's just a prophet. Dear Lord, they're going to try to do this and you're going to interfere with them and you're going to judge them and you're going to destroy them at this time because we're in the night of the day of the Lord. And I'd like to show people how they can understand that um, more clearly and help them, give them a guideline of what they can do to put these puzzles together so they can understand it. And I won't want to take a long time tonight, but I'd like to highlight a couple things that's very clear. I explained last night about Elijah. I'd like to cover that again. Uh, and then we'll go on to Elisha and the, and the other things tomorrow night. But tonight, Lord, I'd like to go back again to First uh, Kings 17 and uh, look at that thing with Elijah and I want to pay attention or draw attention again to the comparison of Elijah and Michael. Because Michael is the angel, the archangel of the fourth spirit. And he's the archangel, meaning he's the archangel of counsel. And that's why he's the only one that can uphold you against the powers of Satan. And that's why he had to come and throw them out of second heaven, because he has the authority to speak in the counsel of you. And he's very, very, very wise, very humble, very righteous and prophetic and so forth. And Lord, he speaks with authority that you give him, that the Father has laid upon him to be this this symbolism of the fourth spirit. Knowing, and I mean, he's not in any way rising above you. I'm not saying anything like that. What I'm saying is he's the archangel that's in charge of the council. In other words, he carries out the council that you speak to him. Because the Father's put all things into your hands. So for him to throw the stone down at this time, or whether you throw the stone down at this time, it's the same. It said Michael will rise up in this time, and that great stone will be cast down. And that great stone, whether it's cast down by you, but it's given by Michael to give at this time, and it has been done, People are looking at that stone is going to create the war right away. No, it's a millstone. And a millstone is a grinding stone. It's a stone that's going to cause the people, the spirit is going to work among the people to now cause them to make a decision because they've had plenty of time, 14 years, come this April, 
to have heard the words of God and turned their lives and opened the church doors and changed and come out to you. But as it was in the days when you walked the earth in three and a half years, at your time, they have not turned, even though you've been calling it out in prophetic word now for this will be the 14th year coming to completion in April. You've been calling it out. Get the words of wisdom you do not know. Get the knowledge of truth. Turn to the truth. Get to hear my words and so forth. And they do not understand that message. But that act has come now. And that's part of the night of the day of the Lord. And I'd like to explain why the seal judgment, why the trumpet judgment, and why the bowl judgment symbolically tell us when they are and what we should be looking for. But we do not pay attention to these signs. So I'd like to mention that tonight. I want to point out real quickly in this thing with uh, that we talked about last night in regard to 1 Kings 17 and Elijah. Elijah's name is, what he's doing is, is symbolic of, like Michael, he's talking and giving the counsel of you, making known your counsel, the way of your counsel, the way of your plan, and the way of your ruling that you give him to speak. You brought the famine on the land as you're bringing the famine on the land at this time. It's going to come. Right now we have this grinding time. We're, we're lucky that the famine hasn't come because we still have this little opportunity to receive the words in a panic. And we must receive it in a panic. We are in the days like Lot. You mentioned it in, in the days like Lot. When it comes, we better not turn around and look back. We better come out and go. Because the angel, Archangel Michael, has now come and is on the earth at this time doing these things for the people we should understand that lord and we don't understand dear lord you told us in john twelve forty eight that we're going to be judged by this time by your words we don't understand people don't church, teach it at the churches but if we could just look and make you know put two and two together it's real simple if we go to hebrews nine twenty six, it says he then would have had to suffer often uh, since the foundation of the world but now once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I could go back a few verses and start at 24. It says, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with the hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, that not that he should offer himself often, as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, he then would have to have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Why is that? There's a lot of depth in that statement. And we don't understand the fact that the Lord, on the first day of the week, when uh, they went to the tomb and he met them, and he says, do not touch me yet. I have not yet risen to my father. Why did he have to go there for to put the blood, to sprinkle the blood in the, as a high priest in the Holy of Holies in heaven on the mercy seat. That blood is special. And that day of this resurrection, first day of the week, was very, very important for us because it symbolizes the time at the end of the millennium and the time at the end of the short time after the millennium. Remember, there's, there's a millennium of a thousand years and there's a three and a half year a short time with the devils let loose to test the people of that day. And then there begins a new day. And so the first day of that week is that is what that's symbolizing. And that's when we will get the new body that's made by that price of that blood that was paid for us. Because all things will be completed at that time. 
and then we'll be transformed. And that was all symbolizing. But more than that, what he's saying is here, we, he's done away with the priestly blessings. He's, the, not the priestly blessings, but the, the sacrifices. And what he's done is what? He's replaced it with his blood that washes away our sins by what? By receiving the words of God that he came, was sent into the world to speak, which is what he says in John fifteen three. By my words, you are washed clean. See, the words have the power of the words of God and enable the great promises of God. So when you're looking at this time to go up in the rapture, and he tells you in Psalms 50 and 4 that he's coming to take up those who set themselves apart by sacrifice. What is the sacrifice? The sacrifice, he paid for it. And uh, so we recognize and we honor that sacrifice by receiving his words to, of God that he was sent into the world to bear witness of. That's the sacrifice of Psalms 50 and 4. And by receiving that, in other words, when he says they did it by sacrifice, understand we didn't have to make a sacrifice anymore of the blood. We did not have to do it. Because he gave the sacrifice for the people that he's going to come and set apart and cleanse at this time. Their sacrifice is to do what? The righteous acts of the saints. They enable those by hearing the words and doing the words. That's in Revelation 19, 111. But then after they've been refined by becoming, uh, hearing the words, understanding how to do them, and then going forth and doing them, that is the sacrifice the Lord is looking for that he's going to take up in the rapture. And the people of today, the church of today, is not ready for the rapture. They have not been washed by the water of the word, which we're judged by, which is what the sacrifice that he's looking for us to do. He's not looking for a blood sacrifice. He's looking for us to receive the words that he paid the sacrifice for each one of us on. Because we're washed and made cleansed by the, the, his words. We're going to be judged by his words, John twelve forty eight. We're going to be cleansed by his words, John fifteen three, Ephesians five, twenty five to twenty seven. And he's coming to to take up, gather to him those in Psalms fifty and four, those who have made a sacrifice with him. How is that? You set yourself apart from the world by his sacrifice, which is what he gave his blood for, and which what he tells us in John seventeen seventeen, we must be set apart by that sacrifice, by that blood, by the words. The words, the blood, the sacrifice, one and the same. He paid the price so that we could enter into the Holy of Holies, the Father toward the temple veil. We're allowed to come in to him, receive the knowledge of the words if we will ask for them. He'll pour out the Spirit and make them known to us in John, uh, Psalms 120, excuse me, Proverbs 1, verse 23. So we can understand that is the sacrifice. That is who we're going to be raptured. Psalms 50 and 4. He's coming for those who set themselves apart by sacrifice. He's going to set apart those who are good. Those who are holy. In Matthew 25, 31 to 34 from those of the world. They're going to be set apart so they can be refined and made wise. That's what he's talking about in Daniel 12, 9 and 10. They're going to be set apart and made wise. He said they're going to be purified, made white and refined. That's being made wise. Because when you've done that, refined means you're doing this righteous acts of the saints, which is the sacrifice. See, that, that, that is the sacrifice because Jesus paid the price with blood for us to receive the knowledge of those words, to be set aside so we can call upon him and do them. 
And in this day of the Lord, he told us that the knowledge of truth, which he tells us is his words in John seventeen seventeen, and he tells us in Hebrews 10, 26, 27, the knowledge of truth have been received and the church has rejected it. He said that at this day, the people will be caught in a snare, all of them on earth. We were all caught in a snare. We did not know it. We, from the time of the apostles until now, the words have been lost. They faded away quickly after the first generation as it has always happened in history because the man's lust get involved. The Vatican don't teach it. The churches of America don't teach it. None of the TV evangelists, end time preachers teach it. They did not discern it. And they don't see it. And they must turn and receive it because if they do not, they will not see part of the rapture. You have to understand in Zechariah 10.3, he warned them. He's angry at the shepherds. And, in the, and, the, and the reason is the people is the goat herds. Malachi 3 he says he's angry with them because they've robbed him. They've taken all the tithes and offerings and they haven't put the sacrifice, the words of God, in the storehouse of the hearts of the people. They don't know it in their minds and so forth. That's why he's got to come and write it because they did not seek and find it and teach it to his people. Okay. That should teach you what is the need for the rapture. You have to get the sacrifice. You have to do the sacrifice, which is honoring the fast sacrifice that Jesus made. That's what it called the spirit of grace. The blood of the spirit of grace paid the price so that we could receive the words. Without going through a preacher or anybody, we can come directly to God and receive the knowledge of the words, Proverbs one twenty three, And he says that whomsoever the words come, they will be like a little God. He, uh, John ten thirty four to 36. What is that? That's a son of God. You know, there's only one God. If you're a little God, it means you're a son of God. That's what Jesus came in the world to speak. He's the son of God. And that's what he was talking about. We are to follow him. We are to abide in, in him and abide in his words. And whatever we desire be done for us, that's a little God. John fifteen seven. Okay. That's explaining that. I hope that's clear to you. This is critical. If you want to be raptured, you must receive the words. He told us in John seventeen seventeen. he's praying to the Father and says, Father, cause them to be set apart by truth. And truth, he says, is your word, God's word. Not the world words, anything. It's a pure language of the kingdom of heaven, the words of God. When you speak it with the knowledge of the way it's spoken of, that's described in the Bible, and the way of the pure language of heaven, you, you've set yourself above the, above the world. Your language changes because now you're speaking with power. In the words of the, power, words of the king, the power is found. Jesus is our king. There shouldn't be any other king at this time because dominion has been taken away from all those on the earth. That happened when the light shined on the earth, Zechariah 14, 7, which is beginning of the day of Lord, April 2003. So all these leaders, all the merchants, all of them have been walking without authority from God. The Admiralty Law has no authority. The divine law that they claim backs the Admiralty Law is false. It's, it's not written on the basis of the scriptures. It's written on interpretations that are flawed because they were not done in the way of the words and did not see them and discern them. They rejected God's words. And God says in John eight forty three uh, to 47 that if you, don't, you, you can't understand my speech because your father's the devil. Because you cannot understand my words. You're not listening to his words. You're listening to the words of the world. And therefore, this language, this law, this divinity system that they've got is flawed. It's of the devil. And all you have to do is look at the Vatican and see the abyss. 
The Vatican owns the Christian book publishing companies. They're the ones that's giving the preachers the monies, the contracts each year, give them millions of dollars a year to write books. They tell them, write so many books and we'll give you these millions. They're supporting the ministry because they're not getting the words. They're going more into failure. They're going more into robbing God, taking grants and not doing anything for the kingdom. They're not putting the word of the meat of the words that's going to judge the people. That is not found in the storehouses of the hearts and minds of the people of the churches. That's truth, and that hurts. And people, that's the same thing that happened at Jesus' time. So when you have that and you don't have the knowledge of the words, that means you don't have faith. And when you don't have faith, when a time of trouble comes, what do you do? You become just like the crowd in the time of Jesus. They all yelled out, we want Barnabas, kill this guy who says he's king. Crucify him. And they did. Same thing will happen today in the church. They'll come against the words. They'll come against the people. His people, and what's going to happen to them? He's going to get the plague. You need to understand in Jeremiah 23, verse 1, it tells the shepherds right now what they need to be scared of. Because if they come against the knowledge of the words this time, they're going to get punished. Not like the, the people back in the days. Remember King Herod later on, after they crucified the Lord and allowed all that to happen, claimed that he was so important and stuff, and he was making a speech, and, and, he, and his body just turned into worms. Ate him from the inside out, right in front of the people, and he died right there. He was a usurper king. He wasn't even allowed lawfully to be king. Because he was a Edomite, he was not he was not of the house of Israel. So therefore he couldn't be king of Israel, but they didn't care, and the priests didn't care. They they went to him, tried to get Jesus crucified by a usurper king. Understand, this is like today. We're we're going to Congress and the Senate and they're working for the Crown Trust. And then the Pharaoh and the rabbis at that time, I mean, not the Pharaoh, but the rabbis at that time, the high priests and so forth, went to a king to get him to judge against Jesus. And that king they knew was unlawful to be king because he wasn't of the house of Israel. He was an Edomite. But they went to him. They were so sticklers to the law that Jesus was breaking the law, but they openly, openly went against the law, their own laws. I mean, they twisted everything to get their will, which is the same thing the preachers are doing today. They're using Romans 13. When the scripture says, from the time that the Lord opens the words on the earth, they no longer have any power. They are to come out from following these leaders of the world. Instead, they join the FEMA and emergency management teams. And what are they doing? They're, they're going to instruct them and help them to put the people in the prison camps. Don't call them emergency camps. They have gas chambers in a lot of these. And generals have even mentioned this, and I've told you about these things, what they're doing, and the trains with gas on. People say, oh, no, 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 that's not true. No, there's. I, I know preachers, well-known preachers, that have been told by military generals this exists. So it's not just me speaking it from the context that I know. It's, it's regular preachers, and they just sit back, well, there's nothing we can do. Yeah, God has told you what to do. From the time that the words were open, you were to teach the words and speak the words and build the people. If you would have done it in the evening time, all the world would have been evangelized. Because he says in the evening there will be light. In other words, it was just like the light could have saved all the world. But that blood of all those people that were not saved in the seven years from 2003 to 2010 is on the preacher's back. He didn't need to repent for that. Because now, look how many have died since then, but look how many is going to die in this great war that's coming. Jesus says one-fourth of all the world is going to die in the fourth seal judgment he talks about. 
And there, it's, that, that's what's going to be taken. And who's that on? That's on the preachers for not hearing and not seeing the words and not turning the words in the evening time. Now we're in the night, the lights are diminishing. In other words, the ability to save the people is losing. The power is being taken away, taken away, taken away, because the devil is growing and growing and growing in these people because the more they revolt, the more demons enter them, the more demonic thoughts and ideas and uh, temptations. They become richer since 2010 to now. They become These big preachers become richer. They've, they've joined in with the, the crown trust in them. They've made billionaires out of these TV evangelists and um, TV TV, television station owners, and so on. What have they done? Made some movies, made some nice songs, take offerings continuously, but never do they preach the word of God. They're not teaching knowledge of the words that overcome the world. See, Elijah, I just wanted to point out here, he laid, I didn't explain last night, remember that he came in the way of the fourth spirit, and I told you about that Zarephath means a time of testing. It's, it's a time of testing, and, and we're in a time of testing. It's like a nighttime. The famine's coming in the night. It's going to come in the morning of the day of the Lord, the famine of the word, but it's going to hit in the night. And it's beginning to be taken away from people. They're, you know, since 2009, the Lord's been testifying in prophetic visions and everything. He's taking the light out of people, and he locked it in an iron cage and put it in a sea that's rolled back. The tsunami hasn't come. They haven't been buried yet by the flood waters that's coming. But their light, which is the entrance of his words, is locked in a cage, taken out of them because they mocked it. And they've been proud. And these same people, these same many preachers and prophets and people that chasing after the world and call themselves Christians, they're chasing after the financial resolve of the world, calling for prosperity in this year even. And they have no idea how the prosperity is coming because those who do not have the words won't be set apart with those who are going to be blessed. It's going to have the blessing poured out of them. No, they're going to be set aside to be punished because they rejected the light. And remember what it says in Revelation 18. He's saying, because remember it says in John 9, 4, 5, that in the night the light is going to leave the world. Jesus is going to be taken away from them. They will not have access to the one who can cause the words to be open to them. But he goes out of the world, the people of the world. In other words, if you're not set apart with his elect by the knowledge of his words, as he says in John 17, 17, they must be set apart by. That's what they called sanctification. Sanctification is the words that he made holy by giving his blood for it so we can go into the temple and receive him in the Holy of Holies. Because of that, these people rejected the holy words that he paid his blood for to make them holy for us, make them accessible to us. He says, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. In other words, the merchants, see, the whole admiralty law system is a merchant system backed by the military to enforce it. And the whole world army is one united. Zechariah 14.1 tells you there's no war between Russia and China or the U.S. and them. They're all united in deceiving the people to bring about a world of chaos, which is a religious war. A religious war is based upon words. 
the devil's words or God's words. That's what it comes down to, light or darkness. Jesus said, let there be light and the words into the world. See, he told us in Isaiah 51, 16, he, he put the words in us and then he covered us with his hand while he planted the, the, the um, stars and so forth. He put the words in us in day one when he said, let there be light. And the light was separated from the darkness, which is what he's talking about in the First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11 by Paul. We're going to be judged by those words. Separate by his words. You have to understand there are words. He tells you that his truth is law. Psalms 119, 142. And he says his truth is the entirety of his words. His words, not yours. The words that he chose that enable the promises of God, the good works of God. God prepared him for the foundation of the world. Jesus is that word. He gave him all authority, meaning all the words of God are under his command. He will open the knowledge of his words to you. See, there's earthly languages and you make up lots of statements and promises and do all these things, but his never fail. They're words that are higher than ours and they're words that lock greater promises than ours. See, our words can make science things. We can make a lot of different formulas. We can do a lot of things. But his science is greater than all this. He can speak and it's done. He can speak and arm is, arm is grown. He can raise his hand up and, you know, food is blessed in the basket, keep putting out the food. That's not science laws that we have in our science books. That's the law of the words because the elements are all responsible. They all respond to his words. That's why he says the whole creation is waiting for the sons of God to stand up. And what is that? The sons of God are those who have the word. Jesus said, John 10, 34 to 36. That's why he's talking about this. And he told us in June and July in 2000, June, I think it was June it may have been May uh, 2010. He gave prophetic words that were phenomenal at the time. And people didn't understand him. He's saying, you have to ride the four horses. They're ready for you. They're ready, but the people won't read it. Elijah was doing the way of the four horses. Let me explain to you. He knew that, A, he was sent to place in a time of testing. That's what it was, the name of the place. Zarephath. He says, go to Zarephath, a place of testing. And what's he testing? We're always tested by his words. We're judged by his words. So he knew the test was that. And he said that that lady was going to provide food for him. And if she provides food for him, she's doing a, a prophet's reward and a righteous man's reward. And so her son died. That's not righteous. When That's not a prophet's reward. She was, you know... She, when if you have to go back to where it started, um, when he came to her, what was she doing? She was going out making, gathering up some sticks to make a fire to prepare the last meal for her son. And he said, before you do that, make a little cake for me with the, some of that flour and the oil. And see what, he, what he's talking about is there. He's, he had the promise of God. He knew that he was going to place the testing and he knew that this woman was going to provide. If that woman is going to provide, God's going to reward that woman with a prophet's reward. And her desire is her son live. That's what she was trying to do. She cared about her son. She was doing this food, doing it for them. And then after he done, I mean, after they had that, they uh, made the cake and they didn't run out of flour and oil the whole time, except her son dies. So the Lord, I mean, Elijah says this to the Lord. He said, uh, 
Well, let me read from verse 18. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms, carried him to the upper room. And I've explained to you the upper room is like in the last days. The judgment seat is there. It's in the upper, uh, uh, it's in the capstone at this time where it's set up. And he's saying, and that's symbolic of coming to the Lord when you do that. And remember that when you come to the Lord in this day, what's he coming? He's, it's going to be a Sabbath. He's going to reign for seven years, a Sabbath time. It's a time where you don't work. The words work. And you, the work that you're, done, you're doing in that time, that what you're happening is all the works of God are in remembrance. That's why people go about doing the righteous acts of the saints. It's the process of remembering all the works of God. So we can take all that God has taught us to this time. And during the time of the morning, during the time of the Sabbath, the beginning of the morning, we'll be able to do what? We'll be able to bring forth all these works of God. Line by line, precept, precept, you're going to gather together and stir up love and good works. That's the righteous acts of the saints. That's putting on the fine linen. That is getting us close to God so we begin to shine because when he gets that into our hearts and into our minds, what happens? Light. The words cause light. And so symbolically, it'll be like Daniel uh, 12, 2 to 3, where it says, they will shine like light like Moses did. <clears throat> and he said, uh, and, and affirmment, shining like light to, to know what is good and evil. Because he says he's going to separate what goes up and what goes down. The waters from above and the waters below. And the waters are the peoples, nations, multitudes, and languages. The words. So he, um, so he took him out of her arms and carried him up to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Because this is the time of rest. And I told you that the whole action of Elijah was showing us this time. That's why he's one of the witnesses. He he was pointing to the time of the end. And he's up there with Enoch right now, and he's going to come back as one of the two witnesses. So then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times. This is important. Three times. Because he was sent in the counsel of the Lord. He was walking in the way of the fourth spirit of God. He was riding off four horses, but he had authority to speak the counsel of the Lord in that day. That was his anointing. And that's what his name is, speaking of that, the counsel, to bear witness to God. And that's upholding him, upholding the Lord, just like Michael upholds the Lord. He's a, he walks in a way of the fourth spirit of God, the spirit of counsel. Elijah was walking the spirit of counsel. So what did he do? He laid out on the boy three times. And then he got up and spoke, which is the way of the fourth spirit. See, the first spirit is separate light and darkness. Second spirit is the words of wisdom. And the third spirit is the uh, spirit of um, understanding of how to enable good works, what the good works are. And the fourth one is the counsel of the Lord. So he's acknowledging the way of the four spirits because at the time of the end, we are to walk in the way of the fourth spirit. That's why the Lord uses the sealed judgments and shows us that the first four judgments are done on horses, which are spirits of God. It's not the four horses of the apocalypse like people say. Yeah, that's the result if you continue walking in the way of the world. But if you walk in the way of God, it's, it's four spirits of God. You notice that the third one, the third spirit doesn't harm the oil and wine. The fourth spirit gives a mighty sword, which is the word of God. And the fourth spirit 
you know, separates the council. People are separated by judgment. Here comes the spirit of death and so forth, but he cannot harm those who are set apart as elect. Only one-fourth of the world did they harm. And then, and what's that one-fourth? Because it's the spirit of counsel. Symbolic, they didn't listen. They didn't prepare themselves. And so, therefore, one-fourth of all the people are going to die because the shepherds have not prepared the people with the knowledge of truth. That's fact. That's why the Lord is angry at the shepherds, as he says in Zechariah 10.3 and in Jeremiah 23 and Jude and so on. It says in Matthew seven twenty one to 23, he says that many people that called him uh, cry out, Lord, Lord, why didn't, why, uh, you know, didn't we call out, uh, didn't we heal many in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, your work is lawlessness. Yes, I gave you prophecies. Yes, I allowed you to heal these people. Yes, I, I, did, I enabled those works. But you never heard. You're, you're no different than the people who, they love to come and see your miracles, bring their friends to you when, when he was walking on the earth to get them healed, but they never listened. They never discerned his words. And when the crowds came, he says, his kingdom is truth. And if those people would have known the knowledge of the words of God, which is the truth, John seventeen seventeen. They would have fought for him because they would overcome them. But at that time, the world wasn't for them. And we're at this time where we're to fight for him. We're to fight for him by speaking the words of God in righteousness like Michael. Michael's walking beside us at this time. All those are ready to go to the work for the Lord at this time to bring forth the harvest. This is that time. He will cause the spirit because that stone is going to grind the people. The word is going to work on those people. They reject it, and then the word is going to start working on them. You know, we presented the words to a lot of people. A lot of people broke bread with people and so forth, and they didn't even know it. But they were doing it in a way of the words, and those people didn't understand it. But in this day, all those works are going to begin to come back. People are going to remember that, yes, that person gave me this bread and this cold water. Cold water's correction, bread's instruction. They're going to be able to get the spirit of instruction upon them to cause them to be pulled so they see the opportunity. Those that walked the streets, those that walked uh, and around the places and bound the buildings and so forth, all those things are going to be tested in this time. Spirit's going to come upon those places, and they're going to know God was near the problem. He goes on here and he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he received, he revived. See, then the Lord heard him. Then the Lord heard him. Then the Lord heard him. What I'm telling you is he did it in the way of the four spirits. He had the authority to come forth in this fourth spirit. And I want you to read Joel 2, 12 to 20. And it says at the end of that, that if we will do what he says there, he will let the bridegroom come and he will hear us. He says, if we don't do this, if we don't sanctify ourselves and we have to be sanctified by turning to the words, then it will not happen. He will not let the bridegroom come to you. The bridegroom will not be coming to you in a rapture because you haven't obeyed what he said in Joel 2, 12 to 20. And then he says, if they will do what he says there, sanctify themselves, hear the words of God and set yourself apart from the world by that. And then cry out to your neighbors and turn people to the truth, which is the words. Gather together in a sacred assembly. A sacred assembly has to be done in the way of the words. That's what's sacred. 
sacred is we begin to understand these things. We begin to want to know what the seven spirits are, what each day of the week means, how is it used in God's kingdom, what's the way of it, and so on. All those things are important. Jesus didn't put them out there for nothing. The, the sun and the moon and stars, they're there for signs. They're there for, for judging us and so on. The words and affirmment are going to judge us. The signs and up for seasons and times and so on. But notice the words were first. The words judge us. They're put in the firmament. The words are primary. And then the sun and the moon gives us understanding and wisdom and gives us the ways of them, the seasons and how to do them. But first was the words. And then came the ability to use these things to understand how to enable the words to be done. Satan does all kinds of things, moon festivals, solstice ceremonies and all that. Uh, but that's without the words of God, but he's doing it for evil and causing people to do it. And those that do it, those that follow those things, bring forth evil because what they're doing is trampling upon the spirit of grace of the blood of Christ by doing those things. So what I was hoping to show you there was understanding how Elijah did the way the four spirits. He was authorized to do it. We are called to do this. Didn't the Lord say, let the bridegroom come? Let the bridegroom come. That's what he's saying at this time. We must let the bridegroom come at this time. Um, I would like to just quickly tell you some, uh, just a helpful thing. Maybe I pray it will help you. If you want to understand the times, and this people are all messed up on the times because they have heard this preached a day and an hour. They've also here preached that the whole time of the day of the Lord is seven years. That's not true. And the day and hour, there's actually two different days and hours in reality. There's a day and hour when the words were opened in the world and, and the day the Lord started. You can see that in Zechariah 14.7. It says the, the, at, the, at the evening of the day of the Lord, the, the, at the evening there will be light. That's what he's talking about the day of the Lord. At the evening there will be light. So he's talking about is that in the evening of the day of the Lord, when the words of God causes the words to again be received on the earth, Hebrews 10.26-27, we should know that the light is coming. Then, when the light comes, we should know by uh, Deuteronomy eighteen, eighteen, nineteen, that He will hold us in account if we will not receive it. And the preachers rejected it and blinded it. They wouldn't even sit down and reason it out or listen it out or search the scriptures. Nobody would invite me in to speak at not one college, university, seminary, big time TV evangelists, the end time preachers. None of them will hear, sit down, and discuss. They all have blocks in their head. And, saying, I know everything. Sorry, but that's what, what it, you listen to them. And it's wrong. What they're preaching is wrong. The, the Left Behind series is all wrong. The Four Horses of Apocalypse is all wrong. The scriptures don't agree with it. I've laid out the scriptures clearly. Look at the keys of light for the simple. And God is continually making it more clear and giving us more clarity on when certain events happen. But here's a simple way I'd like to suggest to you to help you begin to understand the day of the Lord. First thing is, when you go to Zechariah 14, 6, and 7, you see that the day of the Lord is broken into uh, an evening, a night, and a morning, and a day. And all the events happen in those things. And he tells you also it's a time of times and a half a time. A time is seven years, I've explained, and a times is 14 years, and a half time is three and a half years. But if you just ignore those and start to put a puzzle together. So what I'm suggesting to you is get eight pieces of paper, even nine. 
but seven of them are very important. The first one I'd put is, you know, keep it aside and you're going to use that one for a chart where you can chart out the whole um, day of the Lord. And then the next seven, the eighth one, the end one is for the, uh, what they call a half time, uh, which is an hour at the end, what they call a short time or half time or an hour at the end of the, the, the millennium. That's when Satan comes back and tests the people on the earth for three and a half years. So that's the eighth sheet. Now, excuse me, the ninth sheet. The first sheet is like a summary. And then take the the next um, seven sheets. And we know it's a time of times and a half time. So what I'm telling you is that uh, the Lord also tells you that in the book of Revelation, everything is broken up in an hour. An hour in the the Jewish clock is three hours of clock time or three and a half years of literal time. But the way you do it is if you just think of Zechariah 14, 6, and 7, so you, you know that you got a, um, an evening, a night, a morning, and a day, but the day is going to be cut short. You won't have the second part of the day. So if you take two sheets and say, okay, this is the evening, and then take two sheets and put this is the, the night, and take another sheet and say this is the first part of the afternoon. And then you know that there's a gap between then and the end of the millennium, a thousand years. So that's why you're going to have that little gap there at the end, the seven. But the Lord does everything in sevens. So what you're going to see is in the evening, the evening is um, situated, and please take my word on it uh, because I've shown you it from scriptures, but when you start laying this out, you'll begin to see it all fold together for you. But you take the evening and you put the, the way of the Jewish clock. The Jewish clock separates the evening into two parts. There's the first watch and the second watch. The first watch is from sundown to nine. The second watch is from nine to midnight. So that's your evening. So you have two sheets. You put the title of it at uh, the to top, evening, first watch. Evening, second watch on the second one. And then you put, uh, you can help yourself in that and say, okay, this is from sundown to, to nine. And then do the same thing with the, the other part, nine to midnight. Then you take the, the, the night and you say, okay, this is the, um, the nighttime. And, and the way the Jewish clock runs is the third watch is called from midnight to 3 a.m. So that's your third watch. First part of the evening or the night is the third watch. So you write that out. And then you take the, the fourth sheet and you put fourth watch. And that's from midnight to sundown or sunup, sunrise. Then you take the morning and you do the same thing. Only in the morning, they call it the first hour. The first hour is from sunrise to nine o'clock. The third hour is from nine o'clock to a noon. And then noon, uh, that that was, that's the morning. So you have the the uh, they call it the first hour, and then the third hour. It's kind of different wording about you know it's a lot different than the way the wording of the watch is. But it's the first hour is sunrise to nine a.m., and the, the third hour is uh, nine a.m. to 
um, noon. And then you have the afternoon. That's your seventh sheet. And the seventh sheet you put on there is noon. It's the it's the uh, called the sixth hour. It's uh, noon to three three p.m. Remember that Christ died on the cross at three p.m. And the earth was darkened from noon until um, three p.m. And the Lord says that the earth is going to be darkened at this time from noon until 3 p.m. of his day. <clears throat> so we know that's that part. Now you know that the Antichrist is the last thing. So we know that it's 42 months. And as I've said, um, the, the hour, if you go to your seventh sheet and you can put on there, this is the time of the Antichrist. <clears throat> that is the time of the sixth and seventh beast kingdom because they reign together. Revelation 17 shows us they reign together. The 10 kings will give their crown to the Antichrist. You know, we really have the 10 kings now, but people don't know that. There's 10, they've split the world up into 10 kingdoms, but the people don't know they're dead. They still believe there's the United States. They still believe all. The world system, the crown trust that runs the world, has already divided the world up. The leaders of the nations have already signed the law of the sea treaty. It divides the world up. People don't know it. Their leaders are lying to them, deceiving them. They're merchants. That's why the Lord sells your sorcery, the merchants, your sorcery, your lies. They've deceived all the people. They've already taken away the sovereignty of America a long time ago. <clears throat> okay, so the the sixth hour from from noon until 3 p.m. is the time of the Antichrist. Time of the Antichrist. That is 42 months long. The Bible's very clear it's 42 months long. 42 months equals 1,260 days because in the book of Revelation, it's not exactly like your calendar. You're, the Lord uses 42 months, use 30-day 30, 30 months, and he and and uh, counts one thousand two hundred sixty days as a uh, as a what they call a hour. It's three. It's three and a half years, and it's forty two months. So just write this down. You got one thousand two hundred sixty days, and you got forty two months. That's what it equates to, and each month is thirty days long. They don't go by your base calendar that you got. Symbolically, I understand it's all symbolically being done this way, but you can go by the clock based upon the fact that the Lord is doing the times as it is in the, um, you know, like he has the Passover time, he has the Feast of Tabernacle times. They still come out to that, but this is a way of measurement. And the reason why he uses 42, because that's the number of the angle that you can see the red color of the rainbow. 42 months, 42 degrees. Okay, and then you go and, and you start, you have these listed out now, <clears throat> and you know a few things. <clears throat> he's got seal judgments, he's got trumpet judgments, and he's got uh, bold judgments. And we know that the Antichrist time is the bold judgments. Bible's really clear on that. So you can say in the seventh one, it's also the time of the bold judgment. You got the, it's the time of the sixth and seventh beast kingdom. It's the time when the ten kings give their crowns to, uh, and they rule together underneath the Antichrist and the false prophet. 
And it's the time when they set up the abomination of desolation in the temple at that time. And we know that that happens 30 days into the reign of the Antichrist. We know that from other statements, and that will come together for you later. If you just get these things laid out, you'll uh, get the basic things laid out, and then begin to fill them in. Like the seal judgments, we know that the Lord uses the night. He always, he never changes his way, Malachi 3, 6. We know that in the night of the day of the Lord, he seals his word. And he doesn't change his way. He sealed the, the fate of the Pharaoh in the night, at the ending of the night, right before the, the coming of the dawn. And we know that the separation judgment is going to occur in the night, Luke seventeen thirty four, John 9, 4 to 5. So you can put in the night those two verses, but put them in the fourth watch because we know that is true from Isaiah 21, 10 to 12. So on that fourth sheet that you have there, you, I guess it's your fifth sheet, but it's the, uh, the, the fourth watch of the night sheet. You can put Isaiah 21, 10 to 12, and you can put in there uh, John 9, verses 4 to 5, and Luke seventeen thirty four. And you go back to Elihu, E-L-I-H-U, in the book of Job, and you'll find out in, in the scriptures, and I don't know that scripture right now, but in there he tells you that the Lord seals his instruction in the night. See, the whole deal of the sealed judgment is having us decide our fate. We're being judged by his words. So our seal is, do we take his words or we don't take his words? Do we take the dragon's words or his words? And at the end of the night, he separates the judgment. In other words, it's a separation judgment. And so that last watch of the night, you can call it the time of the separate, the time of trial. He calls it the hour of trial in the Bible. Hour of trial. Because what's the ending of it? At the ending of that, it's a separation judgment. Luke 17, 34. So the hour of trial is that last 42 months, which is the fourth watch of the night. Now, the Lord is rising like the sun of righteousness. His reign is as a season and a time. His season is right now because what did he do? He sent, uh, he's even verified in prophetic word and so forth. He sent the archangel Michael with his counsel. So he's taken authority away from the world kingdom. He's going to bring them to destruction now because the millstone is going to cause them to come forth and do their evil because it's going to cause them to be broken, which is, you know, if they choose the way of the world, they're going to be like the statue of, of um, Babylon, uh, King of Babylon, and it's going to crush. He's going to crush their feet with iron and clay because they, they're going to stay together. They're going to spread apart. So he's going to crush that. So what, what's going to happen then is you have the, um, the separation judgment is in the last watch of the night and the plagues and all that will come with the morning because the plagues are called what? The plague of death. What happened to the pharaohs right when the sun was rising, the plagues of death come on them. I didn't understand that before, but it's becoming more clear and more clear. That's exactly what the Lord is doing. And there's going to be uh, six months at least of plagues, maybe seven, because he says it's going to be like a time of a half an hour about a half an hour. So he's going to at least have six seasons of plagues upon the people that are the results of the seventh seal judgment. But the seventh seal judgment was issued in the night. 
And it will be carried out in the morning, just like it was with the Pharaoh and his army. The beginning of the morning, the plagues will come upon them. Then after that, because you'll notice in, the, in the Revelation 8 that the trumpet judgment angels are standing watching these plagues. And they're judging the people. And if the people that are punished, they're set apart and being punished because they're set apart at the ending of the night. Remember that at the ending of the night, the fear came upon, the wheels came off the chariot, and, and the people fled backwards. But they couldn't get out of the sea. It was like a grindstone coming against them. Their wheels didn't work. The words had been taken away from them. And nothing was beginning to work. And then death came on them. They had no power to, to do anything about the waters that's going to come upon them. This time, God's going to punish them with plagues. Many are going to die. One-fourth, he says, are going to die. But the rest that he sets apart, the complacent, the wicked, and the, um, the evil ones, are going to be set apart and punished. And they're going to get the plagues, where his people are going to be set apart to be refined. And they're going to be fed like stall-fed calves. And they're going to be greatly blessed, and the wealth of the world is going to come to them because God's going to cause these people to give them the wealth, just like it was in Egypt. They're going to be destroyed. The 50s kingdom is completely going to be destroyed. The 50s kingdom is the crown trust system, the admiralty law system, the divine law system of the Vatican. The crown trust runs the Vatican. People have that mistaken. I was in this system. I know this. I've sat in meetings and listened where they, the Vatican people were negotiating with the crown trust to get loans and grants from them. They're not loaning the other way around. They're getting it from the crown trust and at bad terms. <laughs> So you have to understand this is the way it is with them. Um, okay, I'm going to stop here for tonight and uh, just let you kind of mull that over. But when you go through the Bible, you begin to see all the events and you can begin to put them on your pages. Which ones happened in the evening, the first part of the evening, second part, you know, first watch, second watch, third watch, fourth watch in the morning time. Because the Lord reigns over the earth for the full time of the morning. The second part of the morning the third hour from 9 a.m. to um, noon is when the two witnesses are on the earth, Elijah and Enoch. But the rapture should occur right at the ending of that, uh, the middle of that morning. It should, it should occur right then. I couldn't, there, there's a couple of different uh, scenarios of when that will happen, but it'll happen because he says in the midst of that morning, he takes away the, the sacrifices. That's Daniel 9.27. The sacrifices is what? That's the righteous acts and that's the people. You know, in the, the other words, they've done their work and he's going to take them up to heaven uh, until the ending of the bold judgments. So they'll be in heaven for about seven years uh, during that time from the middle of the morning. That's the best I can understand. It's about like that. But it has to with Psalms 50 and 4. It talks about the rapture and, and that is talking about the rapture as well. I pray that would be a helpful. If, if, if we begin to, we'll talk about this more and I'll give you some more things you can start putting on your pages. And that pretty soon you'll have the puzzle together and you'll be able to see this is the way it is. And you can see the scriptures and you'll be able to define them. But when you start, when you divide these pages up, you start thinking about the day of the Lord being a day of the Lord. And there's a certain part that this happens, a certain part that this happens, and a certain part that this happens. When you get that lined out in front of you, you can put this together and it makes a whole lot more sense. And then you start showing other people, this is what's happening. And you can start to see how these fit together and why the Lord's doing it this way. And he's told us in the Bible, this, this is the way it's done. 
But we're not listening because we will not hear his words and we will not listen to those things. We're just listening to end time preachers and we want to hear the hooray. We're going to be raptured out of here. We don't have to do anything. No, we have work to do. We have a harvest to do. We got a trouble that we must overcome. We have a beast kingdom that we must overcome by righteousness. Not by war, not by rioting, not by protesting, by righteousness. The spirit of God will go before us. It'll cause them to bow down to his words. It's going to happen that way. That's what Michael's here for. God has sent him now. He's here. This is his season. It's the winter. He's here. Prophetic word is saying he's here. The millstone is working. The spirit of God is turning on these people, and they're going to begin to see it. But you better pay attention, because if you're not turned by that time, you're not going to be part of the of the refinement that gets you into the rapture, because you don't even know the words that are, he's talking about the sacrifice with. So please begin to discern this and take it to the Lord, and he'll guide you in instruction. He said, you turn to me, I'll pour out my spirit upon you and cause you to know my words, Proverbs one twenty three, But in verses 20 to 22 tells you that the Spirit of God is always calling out his words. Wisdom is always calling out his words. And if you will hear, then turn to him, then uh, he will pour out his spirit and cause you to know it. But if you don't believe there are words, you're not listening to his spirit calling upon your heart to tell you there are words of wisdom that he does all his works by. How do you think his science is so much greater than ours? Uh, we, we just we humiliate ourselves, embarrass ourselves, and we're going to have to stand in front of the Lord at judgment and say, oh, Lord, we didn't believe your words were that good. We didn't believe words could create everything. We didn't believe words were special, that your words were above ours. We didn't believe any of that. That's what you're going to be saying. And you're going to say, Lord, Lord, why didn't I? He says, because you're lawless. You wouldn't hear my words. John seventeen seventeen. Matthew seven twenty one to 23. I thank you, Lord, for allowing this message. Dear Lord, I pray that it would be helpful to your people. And I pray, Lord, that they will listen to you. And Lord, that they begin to see that you've already prepared the way, but they haven't heard. And Lord, I pray that we'll hear because they are ready. That Michael is working. And Lord, we pray that they will honor you in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.